0: Welcome to Stargaze, the Queer Astrology Archives podcast, where we examine the lives of important queer artists, activists, and thinkers through the lens of their astrological birth chart. My name is Ellie, and I'll be your host. Hi everyone, and welcome back to Stargaze, the Queer Astrology Archives podcast, where we examine the lives of important queer artists, activists, and thinkers through the lens of their astrological birth chart. It is Aquarius season and for today's episode I have a very special interview with film critic Caden Mark Gardner and we are going to be talking about the filmmaker Kenneth Anger. So I've got a great interview with Caden and then after the interview I'm going to come back on and talk a little bit more in depth about some of the astrology stuff. Yeah, so I think it's going to be an exciting episode.
1: And so uh, from that, I went to fireworks, which I made with uh, students at the University of Southern California Cinema Department. And some of the students were actually from the Navy, And that's how they had their summer uniforms. And and so that was my costumes for fireworks. It was a 15-minute film, and I had just barely that much uh, 16-millimeter negative to work with. And it was actually the the film that it was made with was given to me by the sailors. Because they were being trained to be... um, cameraman from the navy (laughs) the actual subject was inspired by a dream of mine and it's dream logic and um afterwards when i got to see some of course i had seen blood of a poet and that's uh, also dream logic and it's basically a film dream and i had the same thing of i wanted to do a film dream
0: in today's episode we are going to be talking about the filmmaker kenneth anger who is probably most known for his 1963 film titled Scorpio Rising. But he made close to 40 short films over the course of his life, many of which included visual depictions of desire for men, for which Anger and some of the people who screened his films got in trouble with the law. Anger was a complicated figure, and so Caden, Mark Gardner, and I Uh, do discuss his use of fascist imagery in his films, so if you would like to save this episode for another point in time or skip it entirely, that is totally fine. Before we get into the episode, I did just want to talk a little bit about the archives as an idea, and, you know, I obviously have a particular commitment to building out this little archive of queer history and astrology and I talked a little bit about that in the first episode of the podcast but really that comes from this place of wanting to preserve these parts of my culture that feel very important that I don't want to forget and that also I want to share with others And I came across this list of cultural and archival centers in Palestine that have either been badly damaged or completely destroyed in the last several months. And I just wanted to share that list because in the context of this
2: project, I just have been thinking a lot about what is lost there. So this is the list of archival
0: and cultural buildings and universities and university libraries that have been damaged or destroyed in the last couple of months so the central archives of Gaza
2: City the Omari mosque and library the Diana Tamari Sabag library Vinaim Library, Gaza Municipal Library, Kanaan Educational Development Institute, Lubud Library, Al Nata Library, Samir Mansour Bookshop and Library, Al-Sharuk al-Dim Library, Islamic University of Gaza Library, Al-Isra University Library and National Museum,
0: Al-Quds Open University Library, Jawa
2: Harlal Nehru Library, Al-Azhar University, the Akkad Museum, the Cultural Kara Museum, Dear Al Bala Museum, Ibrahim Abu Shahar Heritage Diwan, Kudari Museum, Al Karara Cultural Museum, Rafa Museum, and Shawan Museum. So I just wanted to share that list to just take a moment to think about and be present in what gets lost when we lose these archives. Okay, I'm going to
0: share the interview with Kate and Mark Gardner in just a second. But before we get into that, please don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It would mean a lot to me. And if you would like to become a supporting member of the podcast, you can do that on my website, stargazeastrology.ghost.io. The link to that will be in the show notes, but I would really appreciate your support and it would allow me to continue making these episodes and just do more with this project. Hayden Mark Gardner, thank you so much for coming on to Stargaze. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. It's wonderful to have you here to talk about Kenneth Anger. Um, We're recording this on February 4th and his birthday was yesterday, so it's really nice to get to talk to you about him in honor of his birthday.
3: Yeah, it's very, it's been very fascinating within the past year in sort of, thinking about his legacy since he did pass in 2023. And I was actually at the Flaherty Film Seminar that actually took place in Saratoga Springs this past year. And um, they actually showed one of his films in 16mm, which is post-moment. And it was very great. It kind of almost gave a kind of ghost, ghostly quality to the mm-hmm. um, a hauntology, uh, because while that is not the most out there anger short, it was like, oh, yeah, uh, this you can't really talk about the legacy of underground cinema or queer cinema without talking about anger. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the grandfather of queer
0: cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, wonderful. Well, can you... Um offer us a short introduction to yourself and your relationship to queer film and queer art history. Um, And if you would like also to share your sun, moon and rising, and a little bit about your relationship to astrology.
3: So I'm a freelance film critic from upstate New York. Um, I am a trans man, uh, going by he, him, his pronouns. I have an upcoming book that I co-authored with my Longtime friend and fellow movie critic Willow mcclay Our book is called *Corpses, Rules, and Monsters: An Examination of Trans Film Images in Cinema*. That will be officially out in July of this year. Um, I would say my uh, specialties in film writing are on transness in movies, along with broader queer cinema, and my relationship to queer film history and queer art is just generally things that have always interested. Uh, me since I would say even my preteen years like um, I was obsessed with like the works of C. Williams (laughs) growing up and I'm like that kind of (laughs) gave away so much about myself growing up even before I sort of officially came out I was also interested in Angels in America and the films of Todd Haynes and that evolved into interest in the works of Fassbender and Chantal Ackerman. I'm interested in also things more off the beaten path, and I would say John Waters' films, along with his cultural writing, like um, Shock Value, in particular the book he wrote that was kind of a miscellany on all his interests, deeply informed uh, my taste in films, books, and music. So I would say that's my relationship to queer film and art history. And as far as my signs, um, I'm an Aries sun, Aquarius moon and Sagittarius rising. So there's a lot of fire sign there, two thirds of it. I have a very cursory handle on astrology and it's usually in relation to my own sign, which is Aries and uh, the other fire signs. And in retrospect, I found out Uh, later on that so many of my friends (laughs) are either Aries or some variation of the fire sign like the Sagittarius or the Leo. My mom grew up really into astrology. She came of age in the 1970s, so that makes sense. And I've always found that fascinating because she was also a very religious Catholic. But I think um, the sort of structure and superstitions tied to both Catholicism and astrology there uh, spoke to her a lot, and um, that's sort of been my my ties to it for a long while. I would say as I got older, I became friendlier with other people who were really into uh, astrology, like uh, my friend Miriam did my chart, and I don't know all the signs off the top of my head, but it was really helpful for me to understand my relationship to My sun, moon, and rising. I do think people from a distance think I am extremely low key, but when once you get to know me, my kind of the intensity that comes with being an Aries sign is very evident, apparently, with
2: people who know me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Wonderful. Thank you um, for sharing all of that. And you know, one fun thing that I noticed just kind of in looking briefly at your your chart um, and Kenneth Anger's chart um, is that you guys are both Aquarius moons, so I wonder if there's some (laughs) nice um, connection happening there.
3: Yeah, um, I actually had a friend who matched me with a filmmaker who most aligned with my astrology chart and it turned out to be Olivier Assayas, uh, the great French film director who was also previously a film critic. And what's funny about that is uh, he actually wrote a, a French, the French sort of fil- critical film biography of Kenneth Anger. So I'm like, that's kind of interesting <laughs> as far as, okay, maybe there is some synchronicity happening there.
0: Yeah, yeah, some like lineage that's occurring that connects you um, to these other filmmakers. That's cool. Yeah. So, I guess, can you tell us who is Kenneth Anger and just a little bit about his biography?
3: Yeah, uh, Kenneth Anger was a deeply important, influential, experimental filmmaker who was a protopunk raconteur, queer iconoclast, occultist, pagan, fetishist, and absolute azure, fabulous, and well-documented liar a lot of the time but was still extraordinarily talented and whose legacy can be found everywhere in both underground movies to uh, music videos. Um, He grew up in the shadow of Hollywood in Santa Monica, California, and definitely had aspirations in being a movie star. He supposedly was featured in movies a lot as a child actor. I think uh, mid uh, an adaptation of *Midsummer's Night Dream*, Night's Dream uh, was the known credit. Of a few of the others he claims were just lost movies, although it's again been disputed. He's not the most reliable narrator of his own life. It's important to sort of situate anger in his time period that was seeing this whirlwind of change growing up in the Great Depression and coming of age in World War II. There was this air of patriotism, but also a lot of darkness, obviously, and especially in Southern California, where you're a coastal city, where there are these groups who are intersecting, but there are these tensions, particularly racial tensions like um, the incident in 1943 that was known as the Zoot Suits Riots between American sailors on shore leave and people of color. Um, Apparently that particular incident was part of the inspiration that would be Anger's first major film work, which was fireworks that came out, in 1947, and to borrow from Tony Kushner's Angels in America, uh, fireworks was absolutely a gay fantasia of national themes. It's quite an extraordinary thing to watch, even now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was um re watching it the other night in preparation
0: for this, and it is amazing just like how powerful the images are, even you know, 70 years later. How many years it's been since the 40s? Oh, yeah, it's like.
3: We're, we're getting close to 80 years, yeah. but yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I just want to um, add in, um, so Kenneth Anger made a lot of films. He made almost 40 films um, in his life, but they were all short films. Um, and he also wrote the book Hollywood Babylon, um, which was one of the things that he became uh, kind of most famous for, uh, which was essentially like a collection of unverified gossip about celebrities. And he spent some time living in France and was good friends with Jean Cocteau, but also collaborated with some big names like Mick Jagger and Jimmy Page. Um, And he also had a lot of significant conflicts with those important collaborators and kind of struggled to pull together funding for a lot of his films and often um, found that his work was under scrutiny from the state uh, because of the, you know, at that time, I guess, explicit. And, and some some actually explicit, some less explicit depictions of homosexuality. Yeah. So, what are some of the main themes
3: in Kenneth Anger's films? So, I would say um, his films, many experimental films, rarely ever really had dialogue, but there was obviously these potent confrontational images surrounding hypermasculinity. Uh, You talked briefly about him sort of running into censorship and censorship with the state. Uh, Fireworks was accused of being pornographic to the point. uh, Anger could not theatrically screen it out of fear of losing the reels to the LA vice squads. Um, However, when you look at uh, Fireworks today, while it's very powerful and extremely sensual, um, I would say... The sort of sexuality wouldn't even register today as even softcore. It's, But, you know, it was very much in the very sort of conformist mid-century in America that was deeply puritanical. So he did stand out in that respect. I think of that film, even beyond the homosexual urges and dangers surrounding, it, surrounding that uh, through Anger's dream logic, because it's a very dreamlike film, you can find a sort of commentary... Of seduction, of wanting to submit to domination, and also just the seduction of American post war patriotism that was very fascinating to watch even today. He obviously made a lot more shorts. He never quite made something that felt that personally probing as fireworks. Part of that was likely due to the fear of cen- censorship and more jail time for being that sexually forward, even as there were. Other gay underground filmmakers like Kurt McDowell, for example, who sort of came up later on, who centered their sexuality and queer bodies, that got more explicit uh, around the same time as the height of the counterculture. Um, the imagery and symbolism tied to anger's paganism would probably would definitely be the more dominant theme in his subsequent works. Um, his idol worship towards popular culture, organized religion, black magic just merged into something that in many ways became his calling card. There are, of course, queer elements in many of these movies um, because he does not shy away from worshiping the male form in a lot of these, such as Scorpio Rising, with the way the bikers are shot and how they look. and Scorpio Rising did cause a ruckus with censorship and bans for that worship of the male form. Uh, But you also had these images of, like, say, Anton LaVey popping up in some of Anger's movies, and he was then the head of the Church of Satan. But, you know, you also had images of people dressed as high priests and priestesses from ancient civilizations. So you had this kind of fantastical element to a lot of his work Mm -hmm. that kind of made him fascinating as far as very much embracing the underground status of his work Mm
2: -hmm. yeah
0: yeah um and would you say there's like a particular film that stands out among his work as crucial to understanding him
3: I think fireworks still stands out because it does still feel the most personal because you kind of, it is kind of ironic to think about the fact that he basically was inspired not just by the Zoot, Zoot riots, but his own sort of personal arrest for public homosexuality, I'm putting that in scare quotes, where he was basically entrapped by an undercover cop. So he's trying to filter that through running into state power and the masculine seduction and he still gets in trouble for it yet again when he's trying to film something in this very sort of dreamlike quality um of his work um and i think as far as looking at how his work did change from there or kind of grew into something else. He did internalize that some aspects of himself could not be on screen, even though fireworks is so clearly shot. It is still much more in a social realist realm of sort of him just being a guy, just just walking the streets, whereas in his other stuff, he is shooting other people sort of having their sort of everyday sort of episodes, but he's not really situating himself into that type of situation that he does in his work ever since. So I think that's kind of a crucial film to look at, mm-hmm. look at and what changed from there and getting into the sort of s- social context of what might have, what might have uh, provoked that change. Yeah, yeah, I think, like, definitely with fireworks, like,
0: he is playing the main character. Um, and so it is, like, literally him on film. And he's also very young at that point. Like, he's only, like, 21 fireworks. Oh, yeah, in early out. 20s. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, then, like you said, you know, I haven't seen, certainly have not seen all of his films. But what I have seen a lot of the other stuff is... Him filming other people as opposed to him being this character in his own works. Yeah, so it makes sense that that one feels much more personal. And you mentioned earlier um, about the occultist Aleister Crowley, um, who most people will probably know in relation to um, tarot. Um, But can you tell us about Anger's relationship to Aleister Crowley and how that
2: played into uh, his films?
3: Yeah, like, they never personally met, uh, because I think right when uh, Anger completed fireworks Crowley actually passed, um, but as anger was starting to become a known name in the underground film scene, he became close to Marjorie Cameron, who was the wife of scientists and, other, and fellow occultist Jack Parsons, uh, who is also probably known. There's going to be a lot of six degrees of separation in this episode because of how Anger seemed to like know so many people, especially during the height of the counterculture. But uh, Jack Parsons is also probably best known for his relationship to L. Ron Hubbard, who was the founder of the Church of Scientology. And uh, Jack Parsons infamously blew himself up, which left Marjorie a widow. And Marjorie in her own right, uh, according to both um, Anger and Curtis Harrington and Dennis Hopper, was like, oh, she was like a legitimate witch. (laughs) But basically, she imparted a lot of Crowley's teachings to Anchor, and he took that like a bear to honey, essentially, and that definitely became synonymous with his work there was a point in which he really wanted to do a Crowley biopic. I'm not quite sure how, what exactly that would have looked like, if it would have just been in the framework of his other movies, or he was trying to make a legitimate narrative film about Crowley. But it obviously never happened, but obviously all of his work about paganism and sex magic with a K, um, it became this sort of belief system that anger would follow um, with the idea that sex being this sacred act was going up against so much of American post-war conformity and would be very appealing to anger, whereas he's kind of been dealing with The fact that his sexuality and his sexual urges are often under this so constant legal scrutiny by the state. I think it it feels very reasonable why he would find this cult uh, practice to be very appealing to him as opposed to what the other options were. I think he, I forget if he was raised Presbyterian or Episcopalian, but he very much rejected it early on in his Mm -hmm. youth. So him embracing this belief system is something that kind of became the sort of lifeblood of not just his public
2: life and private life, but also the rest of his films.
0: Yeah. I think we spoke briefly to this earlier,
2: but he
0: definitely seemed to like understand his filmmaking in the context of his occult beliefs. Um, you know, some of them are like very explicitly about. Uh, crowley's religion but all of them have a lot of religious imagery and also like occult imagery and in one i believe it was an interview he said i like to express my beliefs through cinema after all movies can be the equivalent of mantras they cause you to lose track of time and to become disoriented because magical things can happen mm-hmm. so definitely thinking about these films as a kind of like. Magical practice or like devotional occult practice. Mm -hmm. One other kind of important piece of Kenneth Anger's life is Kenneth Anger as a bad gay, um, a la Hugh Lemmy and Ben Miller's podcast of the same name. So, can you tell us a little bit about Anger's relationship with um, Nazi imagery and iconography and how we might understand that in the context of his art? Um, in particular in a film like Scorpio Rising.
3: Yeah, uh, Ken kind of anger is definitely a primary example of a bad gay and problematic fave. I would say it is not a unique type of bad gay as far as somebody who merged the criminality and darkness imported against gay people as almost a badge of honor that in many ways pushed him more towards those other edgelord tendencies, as how I would describe it, or even a little more Neolist, compared to, um, say, people who were in the more activist space, like the homophile movement, who would be in more of his age bracket at that time. I do think the iconography and fascination with for fascist industry, for anger, does tie back to the fact that being gay was treated as a taboo and a crime, especially in Los Angeles. I would say uh, a consistent uh, research in gay art, uh, whether it was pornography or underground cinema, Uh, the Los Angeles Police Department was easily one of the most notorious homophobic police forces and regularly would basically shut down any spaces that would play any gay art. I also think there was a fact that um, Anger faced disappointments of never breaking through as an actor, despite the fact that he was conventionally attractive, but also a dissatisfaction with the way Hollywood liberally took inspiration from his work, but never assisted him in completing projects or helping him fight against censorship. And to me, that made him a very embittered, Person, and I think maybe, in, and perhaps I am being an armchair psychologist, but further radicalized him for being too weird for Hollywood. So he himself decided to make himself more untouchable, which is again leaning into more off putting imagery as a result. We see his interest in the occult, and I do think for him. Something like a satanic pentagram and a swastika were interchangeable as far as provocations, but it obviously goes beyond those symbols into into also the type of masculinity that Anger did like to present. And um, in doing some research in the lead-up to this, um, I was taken by the the written work by filmmaker and writer William E. Jones, where It felt like Anger felt like a man on the outside. He was too old for the summer of love politics of the 1960s, and he was definitely felt out of step with the gay liberation politics of the 1970s, Uh, not fitting the activist type and definitely not fitting the people who would reclaim the pink triangle uh, as their sort of liberatory symbol Which is obviously again the other side of the Nazi symbology that Anger would take and apply to his work. I don't necessarily want to account it as just an age issue. You obviously had Jean Junet at the time, who was actually older than Anger, but was definitely a contemporary figure as a queer artist who was also interested in homoeroticism in his work and the criminality of homosexuality, but obviously he was embraced by the left in France, who you had Sauter and Simone de Beauvoir completely sort of champion him, and there was no such left in America who kind of would embrace anger in the same way, mainly because uh, the left in America had both the lavender scare that targeted homosexuals in public and government life, and also the Red Scare, of course, which targeted artists and people and people in all foundations of American life who were remotely leftist in a way that was too far left for American centrism. So Anchor didn't really have the same apparatus as Jeanne, but obviously we do see how Janae's seemingly rejected the sort of symbols that anger would embrace, but uh, anger has been pretty careful in terms of him stating he wasn't really making a political pronouncement. Um, it's definitely something that is a dark cloud over his legacy. But you know, at the time in America, you also had other hateful symbols, you had the Ku Klux Klan. The image of burning crosses as a symbol of white supremacy against African Americans and those who supported African Americans in that time period. You had, of course, the Confederate flag. You had these other symbols of domestic terrorism and state sanctioned violence in the name of white supremacy. So something like the Nazi symbol wasn't just this all encompassing symbol of that same mindset there were these other symbols that were this very reactionary symbol of again domestic terrorism and state sanctioned violence and anger's predilections and fetishization of something like the swastika it does come off very nihilistic in many ways Um, and again, I wouldn't say this is a defense of his work, but it, it, it does sort of show how it does feel like he is the product of someone who does feel very isolated and does kind of want to repackage and reclaim something, but also very much knows the provocations of having that. And in some ways, some of these symbols that do pop up are basically the type of, Things that are basically symbols that are just that just exist in uh, these groups that he shoots, like the bikers. Uh, Like, I just on my own leisure, I do sometimes look at biker exploitation movies from the 60s and the 70s, films like uh, The Born Losers, the many uh, ripped from the headlines, Hells Angels type of biker exploitation stories. Um, the swastika is very present in those works. Um, I think uh, Hunter S. Thompson's sort of exposé on the Hell's Angels does get into that, and there's not a lot of things that basically scare Hunter S. Thompson, but the Hell's Angels absolutely did. <laughs> so those are very interesting to read, but it it does feel part of that milieu, unfortunately, and obviously these were very white dominated. Uh, countercultural underground systems and figures, and also just the fact that the type of occultism and paganism, even though there are these kind of ideas of ancient civilizations that take place in Egypt that do pop up in anger's other works, it is a very white world that Anger sort of presents and cultivates through his interest. So I don't think he was just ever really taken to task directly or had any real sort of critical dialogues about this until much later when he basically is like, well, I'm I'm not a Satanist, even though I have a tattoo of Lucifer on my chest. I'm a paganist. Yeah, he was very careful as far as not really co-signing the sort of politics surrounding those images and imagery. I think um, William Jones characterized the Nazi and fascist imagery in Scorpio Rising as weird, rough trade where attractive men that knew how to groom themselves but were never taught how to think. And I think the side effects of those images and that type of reactionary and provocative sort of image just sort of exist in Anger's world because of that, but also there are a lot of deeper issues to untangle. And uh, you mentioned that quote about uh, how his films are mantras Sometimes that can still feel insufficient when you're talking about such a loaded image as the swastika. Absolutely,
0: yeah. I think like because so much of his work is without dialogue, we are like just getting images, and so then when you get like these fascist images, for example, in Scorpio Rising, you know, you're getting swastikas, and then in conjunction with bikers, and then in conjunction with like Christian iconography, it's like. There's no dialogue over that to kind of, like, explain how he's connecting those things. Um, And so he's not doing the work of interpreting those images for the viewer. And so I think that is part of why it can be so unclear um, whether he's showing us these fascist images as um, a critique or out of veneration, um, especially because, like, the one thing that kind of does come through is... That desire for the men that he is filming. Um, yes. so you get that there is desire present, and then it's just not clear how to make sense of the fascist images in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did just want to share um, what uh, film critic Kyle Turner wrote in his obituary of anger. Um so I thought it was interesting. He says, for the first openly uh, gay filmmaker. There was titillation and excitement in the danger of these mythologies of white masculinity, of these gargantuan titans and demigods. Marlon Brando and James Dean were not of this earth, and the contradictions of Hollywood Babylon painted for him, even though totally unethical methods of reportage, a battle of good and evil. Of course, evil is always a little more fun and tempting. Evil's seduction was perhaps the point of anger's over, a paradoxical invitation and warning. The blunt and shocking turns of some of his films to reveal their, or his, fixation on fascist imagery, leather, eagles, swastikas, are both provocation and revelation. Anger dared to point out that the roots of our favorite ways to pray in pop culture weren't so far from the iconography of fascism itself. So I think we get this, like, important tension in anger's work where it's really quite uneasy and unsettling watching some of it, you know, just important to hold the importance of his contributions to queer film without deifying or sort of, you know, having to put those um present parts
3: um aside. Yeah, and um this is a podcast, it's not an audiovisual medium, but I am wearing a Tama Finland crew neck and um also thinking about his whole legacy like growing up. In Finland, obviously, during the war, where Finland's whole alliances were very muddled and still remain a point of contention in that national history. But you have that artist who... Also has this very hyper-masculine, this love of the hyper-masculine form, but also dealing with a lot of uneasy tensions of a lot of fascist imagery that does come from the sort of power systems of domination and submission, such as the image of a cop putting his sort of um, pinups in prison situations where you're like, there is this uneasy sort of unruly role of politics that undermines a lot of his work and also the sort of veneration of again a very hyper masculine type of form that does get a little uneasy when you're seeing it sort of recirculate over and over in these different forms so there's definitely a kind of importance to acknowledge but again also not dfi Mm -hmm. that That type of um, individual who is very much a product of his time and place, but also has a lot of these sort of contradictions that do have to be considered in a nuanced way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can you tell us
0: a little bit about how anger has influenced queer cinema um, and how you see his work having lasting impacts?
3: Yeah, I think anger's DNA are in many gay films and gay underground films, be it the work of Greg Araki, the film and literary work of James Robert Baker, aka James Gillinger, the hardcore films of Fred Halstead, um, the experimental works of Ruford Price, James Biggood's Pink Narcissist, that... Much to Bidgood's chagrin for a while, people thought Anger had directed Pink Narcissus, and he was very pissed off about that because he obviously had these pinups. And of course, the works of Derek German, so so much more. Um, Again, he quite frankly did invent the sort of template of the modern music video with his use of popular music in his shorts. And I think, despite the fact that he played with very traditional forms of masculinity and the gender, that his kind of occultist and <laughs> edgeward tendencies are so relevant. Maybe understanding how queer expression can still exist outside of the bounds of the more type of positive images that we have groups from like the HRC and GLAD who center visibility politics and good vis- visibility politics as the end goal. Whereas I think there are many people who have the kind of tendency of, well, I, I don't always want to Think of my sexuality or gender identity in a positive manner. So I think maybe anger might find more fellow travelers who run, say, an edge lord dank me account today, as opposed to, say, I don't know, Pete judge or something like that. Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. So I want to talk a little bit about um, anger's astrology. So. Anger was an Aquarius sun and moon. Um, And what's interesting is um, the other Aquarius episode that I have done for this podcast was Angela Davis, who is also an Aquarius sun and moon. Um, And they are like about as different as could be. Um, (laughs) But I think like there is something similar to um, just the way that they both kind of like they do their thing the way that they do it you know, um, and they kind of have always done it in the way that they have always done it. And they will, like, I mean, you know, Kenneth Anger is not with us anymore, but, like, they're going to do it their own way, and, like, they won't be stopped from doing it that way. Um, But I guess Aquarius is a fixed air sign. It's ruled by Saturn. um, It's opposite to Leo, which is the sign of the sun. And so I wanted to just, like, maybe give you a couple of, keywords about aquarius and then if there are any that stand out to you as relating to anger maybe you could just speak a little bit about that um Mm -hmm. and um this list comes from um the astrology podcast episode on aquarius um so outsider aloof rigid intellectual objective ideologically firm um, and then the images of the collective and the
3: water-bearer. So I definitely think outsider is probably, definitely the, I, the identity that Anger himself would probably most cling to of uh, that characterization of being an Aquarius. I do think on some level uh, just in our conversation of the fascist and Nazi imagery of his work, that there might be some level of a roof and not really knowing not really understanding the room he walks into if he is uh, doing that. that's kind of why he was on some levels shunned by greater society for that. Um, I do think there is an undeniable intellectual side to him, but was often packaged in candy-colored crassness. Um, people forget that the Hollywood Babylon uh, book series and saga surrounding that, it was actually first published in uh, the famous French cinephile publication, Cahiers du Cinema. So that was definitely a highbrow entry point into how he was able to basically... Get the second wind of his career where he gained the most notoriety, but it was first actually published in uh, a magazine that used to regularly publish Francois Truffaut's uh, film criticism. But of course, uh, in contrast, in America, he refashions Hollywood Babylon as uh, just pure tabloid, apocryphal, these secondhand stories that. He would often state, "Well, this is what I heard from people."
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm curious um, what what does the water bearer mean necessarily?
0: Um, so the water bearer is um like the kind of image that is associated with Aquarius, um, where basically, like the person who um, you know goes to the river to gather the water to then bring it back to the community um so i mean aquarius kind of has this like interesting tension to it where um you know like to like one word that i gave you was outsider and the other word that i gave you was the collective which i feel yeah. like mm-hmm. distinctly are different things um and so i feel like with the water bearer and with aquarius there is this kind of like You know going to the river to get the water for the community like the community needs water to survive so there is like something crucial that aquarius provides Mm -hmm. um and it is a kind of like community oriented sign in that way um but there's also this like you know you're going to the water alone i guess but yeah so with aquarius and the water bearer um Yeah, I just think about, like, the idea of someone who, like, has something crucial that the community needs to survive. Um, And because it's um, a fixed air sign that's ruled by Saturn, like, kind of taking all of those things into account, it often tends to be this kind of, like, ideological vision about what the future or what, like, society could look like. And so that's where you get, like, someone like Angela Davis, who's, like, strong communist, like, um, black power movement, like, ideologically very firm, has a clear vision, connects everything back to the, like, evils of capitalism and racism um, as, like, a vision for understanding what we would need to, like, live in a more survivable world. And then with Kenneth Anger, there's kind of, like, everything kind of connects back to this more, like, nihilist
2: um occult um imagery. I I think there is some level where
3: there is definitely a level of self-interest, but I think obviously if you want to make art and have it be shown to the public, there is a level of wanting to reach an audience of more than just yourself on some level. So okay. I think I think obviously, even if, again, he became embittered, that his influence sort of has this collective power and hold on both underground cinema, queer cinema, and again, the pop-ass theater type of look that he had that just filtered through these very different frameworks and artists that he would influence even though again he had a lot of mixed feelings about that level of influence and how that would ultimately uh, not be really directly compensated for on any level but i think whether he likes it or not that maybe he does fit the water Mm bearer just in terms of Uh, his influence like again we're still showing his movies today and you can't say that about a lot of filmmakers
2: yeah
0: totally is there anything else that you want to add
3: so there's like no trans film image in anger's work but there again he has these very fascinating six degrees of separation i think i'm quite Famously and infamously, he was featured on Karina Longworth's podcast. You must remember this, not just for the Hollywood Babylon series, but for his connections of Charles Manson through his associations with Bobby Gosselaire, who was almost kind of his Joe Della pro, uh figure in his life for many years. But um, his associations with Marjorie Cameron are very interesting because um Marjorie Cameron was actually the aunt of Lauren Rex Cameron, who for the trans audience of your podcast and obviously among us as trans men, Mm -hmm. uh, Lauren Rex Cameron was a very important figure as far as understanding how understanding um, the possibilities of having a trans masculine body. Um, Lauren Rex Cameron was this famous trans activist, um, bodybuilder, and photographer whose works, Body Alchemy, were definitely one of the first real um, things I was able to find that really felt like I was actually looking at something really radical when I was trying to imagine the possibilities for me. So I thought it was really interesting to later find out years later, that not only did Lorne Rex Cameron have a sister who was trans herself, uh, but that they were both related (laughs) to Marjorie Cameron. (laughs) And I'm like, what a crazy family to have. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, she went through very, she's gone through, like, she was actually an actress, Mm. and uh, she supposedly appeared in several things, including Star Trek Mm but obviously she wasn't out at that time. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a part of the Cockettes um, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, San Francisco uh, film and uh, play troupe. And I think she can be visible in um, the film short, Trisha's Wedding, which is basically satirizing the Nixon White House. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, I... Only found that after, unfortunately, uh, the news of uh, Lauren Rex passing, but Mm -hmm. it was wild to sort of go down that rabbit hole and make this kind of discovery. I'm like, wow. (laughs) So there, there's your six degrees of kind of anger. (laughs) Yeah. So it was like, um, while his queerness was mostly through the cisgender male homosexual form, or (laughs) the homoerotic form of male form uh he has a connection to lauren x cameron
0: <laughs> huh. i didn't know that um lauren Rex cameron had a trans sister also that's that's really fun um and definitely i don't remember where i found body alchemy but it definitely was like one of those books that just appeared in my life like you know it was like in a free pile or something and i like picked it up and was like what is this this is incredible um so if you haven't ever uh Seen those
3: photos? It's definitely worth um checking out because there's some beautiful photos. And I'm envious that you found a physical copy because I it was, I was basically like doing a Google search and going down these tubular rabbit holes <laughs> 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 mostly. Mm-hmm. i like I was I was that closeted, unfortunately, at the time. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool that you found a physical copy of body Alchemy. Yeah,
0: yeah, I I, I truly. I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad that it came into my life. It was fate. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Great. Well, thank you so much for um, coming onto this podcast and sharing all of your incredible knowledge. Um, Where can people find you, and is there anything you're working on you want to share? I'm not on
3: Twitter. I am on Blue Sky, which is... Uh, Anti prom Twitter, pretty much. Um, uh, under Kaden Mark Gardner, I'm on private on Instagram, but that account, the account I'm under for that is "Corpses, Fools, and Monsters." And again, I have a book upcoming that is going to be released in the summer, July to be specific. And you can find book updates on Instagram under "Corpses, Fools, and Monsters." The book. That's all a mouthful, but it is. An account handle that i was able to have
0: that's great i will include you know um, links to everything in the show notes and i'm really excited for that book to come out it's gonna be great congratulations thanks.
3: thank you very much
0: all right well thank you so much again for coming on the podcast and yeah i
3: hope you have a great night thanks and have a good night and thank you for having me on of course
0: Okay, I hope you all enjoyed my conversation with Caden Mark Gardner. I will put links to all of his information in the show notes so that you can go check him out and definitely keep your eye out for his book, Corpses, Fools, and Monsters, coming out this summer. I'm going to spend a little bit more time with Kenneth Anger's astrology for the rest of this episode. So. Kenneth Anger was born on February 3rd, 1927, at 1.55 a.m. in Santa Monica, California. He was an Aquarius sun and moon, and interestingly, the 1.55 a.m. time, which does come from an A-rated chart, makes him a Sagittarius rising. He has Mercury in Aquarius, Venus and Jupiter both in Pisces, Mars is in Taurus, and Saturn is in Sagittarius. Now, what's interesting is that Sag rising, because if he was born three minutes earlier, he would have been a Scorpio rising. And in fact, he believed himself to be a Scorpio rising. Um, And of course, famously made a film called Scorpio rising. So... I seem to keep finding myself with these charts that straddle a rising sign line. But I have to say I'm inclined to give anger the Scorpio rising, even though we do have this time chart, because that chart just does line up a bit more, and the difference of three minutes is so small that it seems possible that he could have been born a few minutes earlier than what was recorded and i'll walk through why i think scorpio rising is the right ascendant for him so let's talk first about scorpio rising so scorpio is a fixed water sign um so there is this deep emotional intensity to Scorpio. It is ruled by Mars, so we get this kind of drive, but a slow and methodical drive. Um, Scorpio is in it for the long game. Scorpio has the capacity to stick with emotions, to stay with the difficult feelings, and to see things all the way through. And I wonder how we can use Anger's film Scorpio Rising as a way to understand the archetype a little bit more. So Scorpio Rising follows this group of bikers, and a lot of the shots are these long, slow shots where the camera either stays in one place or it will pan very slowly. So we get the intensity of the gaze and the shots often don't show the entirety of a person. So we might get to see one section of a motorcycle or the biker's torso or just their head, but not the whole thing, which I think we might understand as Scorpio's capacity to have this kind of laser like focus where by focusing in on one section of the body at a time, we are able to sit with each part of it because we can only see part of the scene. It almost causes us to pay more attention to be aware of what we can and can't see. And If Kenneth Anger is a Scorpio rising, that means his ascendant ruler is Mars. And Mars is in Taurus, and it would be in the seventh house. And Mars is the planet of cutting and severing and conflict, and it's in its detriment in Taurus in his seventh house. So with that, Mars being in Taurus in the seventh house, in the seventh house... Being associated with those one on one relationships, we would expect that conflict in one on one relationships would play a big role in his life. And anger was known to be kind of difficult and often had these conflictual relationships with his working partners. He frequently found himself in disputes with these prominent figures in Hollywood, often accusing them of plagiarizing or stealing his works. And he also fought with his collaborators, you know, with Mick Jagger and Jimmy Page and Andy Warhol. These were people that he was working with, but he had these huge, long-standing conflicts. So I think we can see that Mars and Taurus kind of Causing some problems for him. And then he was born just after this new moon in Aquarius, which we talked a little bit about Aquarius in the interview. But for anger, the Aquarius energy manifested as these strong ideological beliefs around occultism and also feeling very much like an outsider. And I think that ends up getting kind of coupled with that Mars and Taurus that we just talked about in one interview he said I'm independent I have never worked for another company never had a boss my whole life I am not beholden to anybody so Anger very much did not feel like he was a part of the group and he rejected the glamour of the Hollywood scene even going so far as to say that the glamour and the like, focus on the material of Hollywood was evil. And as Caden Mark Gardner alluded to, he is often credited for effectively inventing the music video, and he made a ton of work, but he did not get the credit that he deserved because he made these edgier films. But I have to say the thing that is most convincing to me that anger is a scorpio rising is actually his saturn placement so kenneth anger was born at night which means that saturn is the malefic contrary to sect in other words saturn is the most challenging planet in his chart now if he's a scorpio rising saturn is in the second house which is the house associated with what one has. It's one's finances and assets, their self-worth, all of a person's personal resources. And Saturn is the planet of limitations and restrictions. Saturn denies. And Kenneth Anger chronically struggled to make enough money to make his films. For example, he was given a $10,000 grant from the Ford Foundation to make Custom Car Commando, which was supposed to be a feature-length film about cars as fetish objects for young men. But he spent so much of the money on living expenses and editing other films that Custom Car Commando only ended up being one scene long, clocking in at about three minutes. In one interview, he said, my dreams are like big budget and my movies are small budget. I had to tailor my dreams to fit my budgets. Except in a few cases, I had very limited financial resources. So that has dictated my product. So we can see Saturn restricting Anger's financial resources and adding in these limitations to how he could make his films. And so I think that makes sense to me, that he would have the most challenges in regards to his personal finances with Saturn being in Sagittarius in the second house. And I want to finish out our discussion on anger by talking about his Venus and Jupiter placements because they are just so beautifully placed, and I think it really speaks to his art. So they're both in Pisces, and Venus is at one degree of Pisces, and Jupiter is at three degrees of Pisces, so they're in a very close conjunction. And Jupiter rules Pisces by domicile, and Venus rules Pisces by exaltation, And Pisces is Anger's fifth house, which is where Venus has its joy. And then they're both in Venus's bound. So our two benefic planets are hanging out together in very good shape. And they're in the fifth house, which is the house of creative projects. And so it makes sense that he would be such a prolific filmmaker. Venus rules the arts and beauty, and Anger's films are quite beautiful. And many of them feature desire as a core theme, whether that's desire for the bodies of these men or desire for cars as a fetish object. And Jupiter expands all that it touches. So it makes sense that he just made so many films. And I also think it's interesting to think about Pisces as a mutable sign. With the mutable signs, there's often this theme of repetition or circuitous motion. And I think that speaks to the fact that Anger only made short films. Like, I wonder if this Venus-Jupiter conjunction were in Taurus, say, which is a fixed sign. If we would have instead gotten fewer films,
2: but like feature length films. So I really like this Venus, Jupiter, Pisces
0: thing in Anger's chart. And I feel like that
2: really describes his artwork. I think his films are very. Piscean,
0: like there is this kind of dream like quality to a lot of them, where it's almost like this fantasia of overlapping images and like a sort of like surrealist, like it's unclear what's real, what's not real, what's happening. And I think. That kind of dreamlike quality feels very Piscean, and so I feel like that speaks to just this Venus-Jupiter conjunction in Pisces in his fifth house. Okay, so I think this episode is probably going to be quite long, so I am going to cut it here, but I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you enjoyed the interview format, and If you have any feedback, I would love to hear it, whether it's about doing more interviews or doing more video episodes. Yeah, I would just love your feedback. And again, please don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you would like to become a supporting member of the podcast, you can do that on my website. And... You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram. I will include the links to those in the show notes, as well as links to all of Caden Mark Gardner's
2: socials. And I will see you all again next time.